Welcome to Nostalgia Marcana. I'm your host, Doug Leaf. Each episode of this podcast, we will look back on the pop cultural ephemera that remains in our cultural zeitgeist today and try to understand why we remain enchanted all these years later. This week, we will be revisiting... My dad tells me the truth. You know what he said? He told me that One-Eyed Willie and his bunch were down there for five, six years. And they were digging all these tunnels and caves, setting booby traps. Booby traps. That's what I said, setting booby traps so that anybody that tried to get in there would die. And then you know what he did? He killed all of his men. Why? Why'd he kill all of them? Well, because he didn't want them to get to his treasure. Yeah, wait a minute, Mike. But if he killed all his men, how did the map or the story get out? See, I asked my dad the same question. He said one of the guys must have gotten out with the map and, hey, Mike, and the... Hey, I believe you. Yeah, well, I don't believe you. I don't believe you at all. I think you're cool. I think you're cool. I think you're Goonies never say die. That is just as applicable to the film itself as to the characters because... Three decades on, uh, this movie is still just as potent as it was the day it came out. Uh, I feel like this movie was meant for our generation of kids, but it's proven to be very, very evergreen. And uh, to the point where, you know, it just seems like you, you couldn't ever do a Goonies 2 or even any kids movie that quite tops this one. This one is very, very special for reasons we're going to get into uh, as we go into this podcast. But uh, again, I'm not doing it alone today. I have a special guest with me. Uh, so everybody, welcome to the podcast. Uh, my friend, Tanya Newton. Yay! Hello! So, Tanya, you uh, you picked the Goonies. Uh, I think it's an excellent pick. Uh, can you tell us why? Okay, so, uh, let's see. The Goonies came out in 1985. I feel like I have a memory of being probably five or six years old. So I was born in 81. So let's call it 86, 87. I was, I think I was in kindergarten or first grade and have an active memory of just like a visceral love of Mikey to the point where even your wife knows the story that I like wrote her, I wrote Mikey a love, a love note. Uh, like Did you write it school. to Mikey or to actually to Sean Astin? Nope. Dear Mikey. Dear Mikey, I love him so much. And it's just one of those classic movies you can watch at any point. I probably have a handful of movies I will watch whenever they come on TV, if I ever actually watched real TV anymore and not just stream everything. But you can pick it up at any point and just know exactly what you're doing, what you're seeing. You have a memory of that. Everybody in it is fantastic. And you look at who's there and there's just, there's, it's just so fun and it's chaotic and it brings me back to a clearly a simpler time in the eighties, and um, and just having fun, fantastical adventures. So it's just it's a great movie. I hesitate to show my kids just yet because there's there's a bit of you know bad language, and I have little little ones just like you. Um, but I can't wait for them to have an adventure like this. And this is, you know, this is. Um, you see a lot more like Disney-fied adventures now that are very fun. But this is, I don't know, this is rich. This is exciting. This is so Spielberg. It's just so, which I know he didn't direct this, but, you know, he had a hand in this. And I, I think it's just, it's that, it's just 
it's just great. It's just such a fun adventure um, that it, it's just so much fun. Yeah, I, I feel the same way about it. And I I don't have a memory of the first time I saw it. I think probably because I've seen it so many times that, you know, it's just a, a, a wash for me mm-hmm. of like this is 80s wash. But also, I think you're right. Like th- this kind of a kid's adventure has never been done better than this. Um, and every kid's movie that came after it was just trying to do a version of this. It's like, how do we do the Goonies? Let's, you know, to the point where like you look at things like even South Park and you've got, you know, it's the group of kids and you've got like the funny fat one and like the main kid who's the leader and the sort of mouthy one who does all the wisecracking. Like you, you've developed this template for, for a kid's adventure but I also think you're right. It's not quite as sanitized as a kid's adventure would be today. Like, yes, it has a bunch of uh, S-bombs in it that, you know, I forgot about. The kids are a little bit uh, dirty and mischievous. Like, they, I mean, like that whole thing with the statue breaking with the penis on upside down. <laughs> I was like, when I was a kid, I thought that was really funny. And as an adult, I'm now like, oh, they were getting away with stuff here. But also the portrayal of kids and the way they interact with each other is so realistic. Yeah. The only thing I can think of that is in that is in this league is I think uh, again to go to Spielberg. I think the way the 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 children interact with each other in ET mm. is extremely natural. Mm-hmm. Whether whether you like that movie or not, I think one of the unqualified wins in that movie is just how well those kids kind of just feel like real kids the way they talk to each other. And that's the same thing here. Like the movie will actually kind of switch back and forth. Like when the when the Goonies are all kind of squabbling amongst themselves. It's incredibly natural. And then when we go to like the Fratellis, it's movie dialogue and yeah. it's more, you know, you're, you're so not right. Stilted, but it's, yeah, it feels like written dialogue. But when you're a kid and you watch it, you're so right on that. You're so right on that, Doug. That was something I was going to say is that watching it, it's so fun because there's clearly dialogue, but these kids were allowed to just kind of go off and sort of do their own thing. And you see, like, think about the scene, the beginning of the movie when they're in the attic and they're all kind of doing their own thing and they come together. Right. And, and they just are, or right in the house before they go on the adventure. Hey, I bet you guys thought I was going to drop it, huh? <laughs> I know you would think that from good old Chuck. You oh idiot! Oh, oh, look! It's not broken. It's perfect. <laughs> it's per- oh, oh my God. What? That's what? my mom's most favorite piece. What? Oh. <laughs> oh, my God. It wouldn't be here if it wasn't. Shut up, Mel. Shut up, Mel. Hey, any of you guys ever hear of Detroit? No. Certainly. When Motown started. That's got the highest murder rate in the country. Well, let me tell you what. That's where we're moving. We'll lose a house tomorrow. You shut up about that stuff. It'll never happen. My dad will fix it. Yeah, sure he will. If he gets his next 400 paychecks by tomorrow afternoon. That's wrong, Brandon. It won't happen. Uh, they clearly have all these different dynamics that all work together. They all have their part. You've got mouth, uh, you know, kind of mouthing off. You've got Chunk, who's clearly like the klutz. 
but they have this great and, and they're all having these little conversations it's like uh it's like gosford park where you see all these different conversations happening and it's like real time it's not like you know it's not like where everything is quiet in the background everything is happening simultaneously it's a real life i mean even when we see, you know, our kids playing around, there's a million conversations happening and then they all come around, you know, they all come back and center around whatever some big event is taking place. Um, you know, what I was going to say is something else that's really funny and I've seen it more and more. Um, you see these like um, gifts or memes online that are like, uh, like the Generation X kids who they were making their dinners at, you know, age seven. They were walking by themselves to school. They were having adventures. They came home. You know, they left in the uh, summertime at, at daybreak and they came home when the when the lights come off. These are kids that are so independent. And it's so funny just to see how different they are from. It's just a complete generational change. And it's so fun to kind of have those memories because, oh, my God, I don't know the last time I left my kids out of my sight to go off and play like at the park. So to have these kids like running around God knows where for God knows how long. And I doubt those parents in real life probably were thinking, oh, where are my kids until, you know, 12 hours have gone by. You know, we're, we're so concerned about them after 10 minutes. So that's a lot of fun to see the difference. Yeah, if this movie were made today, there would definitely be, you'd have your A plot of the kids working their way through the pirate cave. You have your your B plot of the Fratellis coming after them slash chunks side mm -hmm. adventure. But you would also have some section of the movie that was devoted to the parents trying to figure out what happened to their kids and calling the police and like trying to you know, locate where they are. Um, and there is none of that. The parents just show up at the end of the movie. Totally. Seemingly magically knowing that their kids were are coming out the other end of this cave. Totally. But that felt very true to life. I mean, uh, I've I told this story on uh, on my other podcast, uh, a podcast, but evil on our episode we did on Pennywise. But I'll tell it here because uh, it, it's apropos. When I was a kid, again, I'm uh, born in 1980, and me and a few other kids, you know, our our little group of Goonies, there was a spot. Our elementary school was on the edge of a canyon, and if you went like way to the end of the soccer field through a hole in the fence and down this like sandy uh, path through like sandstone stuff, you could climb down the side of a cliff to these sandstone caves that were, you know, basically indents in the side of the cliff wall. They weren't like a, a whole cave system, but we climbed down there and we did that several times uh, until our parents eventually found out about it and were extremely pissed. <laughs> and, uh, and then I think the last time I went down there, I got a tick and I was like, that was enough. Um, but but that, to me, was like, oh, yeah, I'm having a Goonies adventure. That's what I'm doing because we're free to go do this after school. Why not? There's no cell phones. What's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Yeah, it's so funny. Just right, the inability to, like, talk to each other, to, like, have to have a connection back home. That is – it's it's just so funny to think about. I mean, there is definitely a 30 or 40-year – I mean, just that's two generations. It's really funny to see what's happened in two generations. So that's, that's really yeah, we, fun. Yeah, we have to be helicopters for sure. Yeah. But no, this movie is just so fun for so many different reasons. I mean, the, the, just the whole adventure idea is just, just the adventures they have. And you have this like Indiana Jones aspect and all the booby traps. And, um, that was so fun. I, I rewatched the movie today just to like be inspired. One of the things that's the most fun. And I always wish that I like, 
the waterfalls towards the end. I know I'm sure you have like a order you want to go in, but like that was one of my favorite parts was like the waterfalls and they all just go down. And you're like, where the, I don't know. There's so, going back to like your cave system. These waterfalls, clearly they all like shoot out of these different like holes. And I just thought it was like the most fun thing. And I just wanted, I wished as a kid that I could like go on a waterfall like that, like on a, on a water slide. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing is a kid's, fantasy for sure like the the i mean what i mean by that is it's the it's a child's idea of what this adventure would be like you know the kinds of like booby traps that are almost like video game levels you know that you you sort of do these standalone adventures um you've got these criminals that are after you but they're 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 a little scary as kids but you know they're not real They're, they're they're cartoon criminals they're not you know real life scary criminals uh, the, the whole thing feels like this is from a kid's perspective. This would be awesome. And watching it as a 42 year old. Yeah. You're like, Oh my God, this is, you're in the, what, what freaking diseases and rats are down in that <laughs> cave. Like you could not get me down there to, for anything. Um, but yeah, we can talk about the movie in kind of roughly it's uh, it's order. I think the opening is really interesting that, it, cause I forgot it like opens with Robert Davi's character pretending to commit suicide, yeah. leading to this jailbreak sequence. Which, it's pretty dark to open with that, like your kid's movie with this fake hanging. Uh, and it also, it you through it, you it still introduce each of the main characters as the pursuit goes mm-hmm. by them. I thought that was kind of a, a clever like intro to, to get things going. I think it also shows that as much as you sort of said that the, you know, the villains, the Fratellis are sort of, are sort of cartoonish, clearly the mother is very smart because this entire car chase has been choreographed to the point where at the end of the car chase where they get away is because she's able to hide in between that whole four wheel drive beach race thing. And she knows exactly what she's doing. And it's just like, you're right. Like it is, you do get to see every person, but you're also like, Oh dang. Like they're a bit, they are definitely cartoonish, but she is the mastermind. She is, you know, mama Fratelli. And she knows what she's doing. But it is so fun. You're right. You get to see a little bit of each one of these main characters um, throughout this. I mean, you get a real good picture of Chunk telling the story and seeing this thing and how the cop is like, and you just saw, you know, was it Michael Jackson's cousin or something, whatever it was. You know, you got to see he clearly has this 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 reputation for telling tall tales. You see... Um, you know, mouth with his dad and he turns off the TV and still hears the, the sirens and he, you know, bangs on the TV. It, no, it's so fun to see every little bit. And it does. I think it's a really fun intro where you do get to see, you just lay out everybody really well. It's, it's really well choreographed. And I think it, it, it does speak to, um, well, again, I just, I really enjoyed the car chase part where all of a sudden you're like, you know, he, there's that scene right when, uh, right when, um, I'm sorry, what you said his name, I can't remember his name. The brother that fakes the suicide. Robert Davi? Yeah. So he, the other brother who is, um, oh, Joey Pants. When he, yes, you know, Joey Pantoliano right. from the Matrix. And so he's, uh, he lays out the gasoline around the police station and as he lights it on fire and he's got that like evil laugh 
and he's like the window is like going up and so you can see the reflection of the fire as he's doing this evil laugh it's just so fun like you really do get to see you're right it's just that cartoonish thing that's so fun like it's they're just really all of them are really they're really going into this head first and it's so much fun you just it invites you to have fun this is directed very well. Um, I mean, you mentioned Spielberg, who is producing it. You can definitely see his footprints all over it. But the guy in the director chair is Richard Donner, who is no slouch and is uh, most famous for directing Superman 1 uh, with Christopher Reeve and uh, Lethal Weapon. And uh, you know, he's had, he had a long and storied career. And you can see that like steady hand on the wheel. Mm-hmm. Even when the movie is sort of like sloppy, it's almost like intentionally sloppy. He's like, don't worry, you know, I've I've still got control of this thing the other thing that helps that opening is dave grusin's score um that like op- that theme that dump 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 that theme got used in like every trailer mm-hmm. for years that was the like we're having an adventure because here's that music again definitely adventure definitely triggering that adventurous spirit it's so fun you're right it is very in and of itself it's it, it just it's um it's inspiring and it is it's inspiring you to have fun with the movie and it's also i think just pirate flavored enough in terms of its references to like captain blood and like these old the old kind of pirate movies that sort of filter their way in when you see like sloth watching them right right and then emulating them yeah like it 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 really sets a a nice piratey tone as we sort of get to see this version of astoria illinois i'm sorry oregon oregon yeah and then we get to that scene you were just mentioning where they're all meeting at the house, which I really love. Like, they they really take their time to let all these characters kind of just sort of simmer together. And you get to see their dynamic, and you get to learn who each of them are. And I feel like this would be done in a more, like, quippy, maybe more efficient way now, but not as heartfelt. Um, I, I think really getting to just kind of sit with these characters and you understand that, like, they're really putting a brave face on the fact that they're about to, they're all about to lose their houses if for, uh, I guess, reasons. It's like, it's not important that right. I guess somebody's going to buy 50, 50 houses, an entire neighborhood to build a golf course when there's like plenty of natural land they could just clear. It's like, no, fuck you. Yeah. Goondocks. We're just going to demolish all your houses. Well, I was watching today also some of the deleted scenes I could find on YouTube. And one of them was really... Yeah, I watched some of those, too. Yeah, and so there was one where they're in the liquor store, where all the Goonies are in the liquor store, mm-hmm. and Troy comes up and starts beating up on them. And you can clearly see just how, how much of a dick he is and how entitled. He's like, I can't wait until I'm teeing off on your front lawn. So, you know, there is always that, like, underlying menace of, you know, that that as much as the Fratellis are sort of that, that tier one villain in this, there's there is that, you know... The, the force, the dark force, the dark side of the force is, is, is haunting. There's an existential threat. Yeah. yeah. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of fun that, you know, um, as we, as we come through this, that, that there's a resolution there too, because um, there's the immediate adventure and they, and they, but they are, there's something they're fighting for that's larger and, you know, all that it's there, t- you know, when we get to it, it's their time up there, but it's our time down here. I don't know how many times I have used that. I used that line today when I put up on my Instagram story because I was buying my Taylor Swift tickets. It's our time now. Don't you realize the next time you see Sky, it'll be over another town. 
the next time you take a test. It'll be in some other school. Our parents, they want the best of stuff for us. But right now they gotta do what's right for them. Cause it's their time. Their time. Up there. Down here, it's our time. It's our time down here. That's all over the second we ride up Troy's bucket. It's just one of those, you know, right, because they're just, they're just so in the, this adventure is just happening right now to them, and these, these things are happening to them, and are so acutely affecting their, their souls, um, and they're just sweet little kids. Yeah, but still, they are very, con- like I said, the movie's class conscious, and so are they, they're very keenly aware that, you know, they, they don't have the resources financially to fight this uh, threat that's coming to take all of their houses away. That is the driving motivator for them to go on the adventure. But like you look at one thing that Mikey does throughout the movie that really struck me this time is like, they're going after pirate treasure. It's very rare for him to use the word treasure over and over again. He says, we got to find the rich stuff, Mm -hmm. which is like really a, a really strange choice until you sort of realize like he, he can't even conceive of treasure. It's just rich stuff. Like he, he doesn't view it that way. Like we have to get rich stuff so we can be rich and thereby beat back these other rich people. And that also bleeds through the, the Vertellis as well, because we find out what, what they are as a gang is they're counterfeiters. And that kind of put, you can see they're kind of in their own, like poor against rich struggle. So uh, it's a nice kind of like it's a very 80s layer to put in the movie that we have like literally Troy the rich you know kid who wants to golf that's right up there with like one crazy summer where you know they're gonna bulldoze the community center hmm. to make way for a parking lot or something there everything is getting bulldozed to make a parking lot in, <laughs> uh, in 80s movies but it fits here right it, it's a very easy like you know yep they're gonna lose their house they need money and they go find this treasure map in the attic and luckily the the uh the secret coin they need, the doubloon, to unlock it, uh, and off they go to the tune of Cindy Lauper. <laughs> yeah, I never thought about it like that in that sort of class way, but you're so right that that you know that there's always the um, oh gosh, what are they what are they called the yuppies? You know that that they're definitely that that douchey yuppie that Troy per- personifies, and these are just the you know there's the scrappy kids. That, you know, they work, they, they, you know, they're trying to find, they get that deus ex, ma- ex machina at the end to, you know, solve the problems, but they're, you know, they're getting there. It's, that's fun. I never really thought about it like that, but that is, that's such a, that's such an 80s story. I, I think so. And I think, you know, it, it's a good, this is a good, like, branch off from that story to go like, you know, okay, we're going to take the, like, like I said, One Crazy Summer is, you know, okay, we need to save the community center, so we're going to win this boat race and raise money. And here it's like, we're going to go on a fantastical pirate adventure mm-hmm. through uh, uh, more, more akin to Indiana Jones, like you mentioned before, than it is to, to something else. And so, we, yeah, we get the kids going off. I, I was, I found an interview with, uh, I think Corey Feldman was talking about how the kids were all like super excited that Cindy Lauper was doing this song for the movie. Uh, and then 
the kids heard it and they actually didn't like it that much. Didn't they even have her, didn't they even have her music video going on in the background of when they're in the house scene? It's in the movie, but interestingly, it didn't, it, it wouldn't have been there when they were filming it. They had, they would have had to have spliced it in later because the music video was shot after the movie was shot. So there must have been a placeholder, you know, on the day. Yeah. Uh, and then later on in the movie, yeah, you see a clip from what would be her, her video. But it was actually a hit in, in real life. So the kids were wrong. It was a great song. And I still think it's a banger. I, I like that song. It's fun. Yeah. Uh, and maybe it's just my my affinity for the movie itself that makes me feel that way. But I don't know. I listened to it a couple of times. I'm like, that's pretty good. Uh, to the point where, did you ever play The Goonies 2 on NES? No. I was never a video game kid. I'm still not a video. I, I pl- yeah. They, so there, they did make a Goonies one that I think only appeared in like rare arcade cabinets. You can never find it. But then they made this game of the Goonies two that was very popular because I think kids were like, "Hey, a Goonies two! I want that! Yeah, I love the Goonies." And it's uh, it's very weird, and I, we don't need to go into it. But the there is a like eight bit version of the Cindy Lauper song in there. So it's kind <laughs> of fun. Maybe I'll splice that in here somewhere. Yeah, we have this. They, they take off running. They 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 trap Brand, uh, Josh Brolin. Kind of impressive in terms of the pedigree of this movie that you have Thanos and uh, Samwise Gamgee in the same movie. My, you know, my kid is named after Samwise, so it's all. I think. Look at. I don't think I ever really thought about that, but maybe there's some connection with my love for Mikey, and then ultimately I have a kid named Samwise. It it all comes back to Sean Astin. But you know, I was looking at like, you know, the cast. You've got Sean Astin, you've got Josh Brolin, Corey Feldman, who's, you know, maybe a mess as, like, a, an adult, but, I mean, such a huge star of the 80s. I mean, Martha yeah. Plimpton. I mean, you've just got a great cast of people, and it, it's just so fun. They all really did well, and they clearly picked, a, you know, really talented kids to come in and do this. Um, there's this one scene, I mean, I know we're, we'll get there, but, no, I mean, but they were still kids. Like, as much as they were talented... They're still kids and, uh, you know, kind of going back to the chaos that, you know, controlled chaos that like Richard Donner was was trying to just sort of mold these kids. And I'm sure let them sort of be organically kids, but keep on task with a with a script. There's this really fun scene. So, okay, well, we'll get there. Where were we with the house? They're they're off on their bikes and they get to the restaurant with from hell. Yeah. Which, you know, I I can't believe like that creepy dilapidated restaurant is one of the scariest things in the movie (laughs) well and then like remember how she gives them the mom she gives them the water and it's like brown water and it's so gross why would they even at this point how are they not yeah how are they not like every aspect of this why aren't you running away what do you want lots of water four waters is that all Yes. No. I want the Vila Scalapine. I want a Scriptione Alfredo. A bottle of Vittichina in 1981. 
The only thing we serve is tongue. No. You boys like tongue? <laughs> That's all? Yeah, every, every instinct in, in your body at the, during that whole scene is just screaming. Like, this is wrong. Get out of here. You're in terrible danger. Go. And But I love it. Like, even, like, Chunk, who sees the car with the bullet holes in it, like, he still can't convince them that it's time to leave. Eventually, though, they, I mean, they go through a lot in that restaurant. They find the, the dead FBI agent in the freezer. Well, they find the ice cream. Per- I mean, I think there's a charm in being an oblivious, what, 10-year-old? How old do you think these kids are? I can't even tell. 12? Yeah. There's something... I think they can't be older than 12. Kihi Kwan, who plays Data, was, I believe, 12 at the time they filmed this, or maybe even a little more. No, he said he was... I was watching an interview. He was 12 when he did Indiana, Indiana Jones, Jones. The Temple of Doom. So he would have been slightly older when he did that. He, he appears to be very young. But, well, it's only a year apart. Yeah, they're only a year apart, those movies. So he's like 13 or yeah. something here. He's very he's pretty young. So well, they're all roughly, I'm sure, between 10 and 13. Right. And, you know, uh, right, because Bran, you know, he's just learning to drive or he just got his light or he just failed his license. So he's got to be right. Yeah, right. they so can't be, be that far. Right. You know, here's one thing. How the hell did Bran find them? How is he just going to be like, oh, let me look for my kid brother and his creepy, you know, his little weirdo friends at like the abandoned shack? Well, you mentioned the deleted scene when they're, they're in the um, convenience store yeah. or whatever that is. Brand shows up there and he finds them there and intercepts them. And there's some they, they have there's the map is a, is in, you know uh, pulled out of Mikey's pocket, so that's in play. So I wonder if there was something in that scene that would mm. even though they might have, they must have gotten away again to go to the restaurant that maybe Brand had a clue. Um, the movie does take a few shortcuts here and there. There's places where it's a little like I said, it's a little sloppy. Uh, there's just funny, like, you know, editing mistakes and stuff. Like, there's, at one point, Sean Astin calls Brand yep. uh, Josh. Exactly. I love that scene. Yes. They left it in. There's, at the very end of the movie, Data is saying, oh, the scary part the was octopus. the octopus. There was a scene with an octopus that I was love cut that from the scene. movie, but yeah. they just left that in. Yeah. Nope. Those are the so, fun ones. You know, the, there's definitely those little things. But once the, once they kind of get into the caves and the adventure sort of really, the proper really starts... You know, that's definitely when I start leaning in a lot more. I'm like, yeah, 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 okay, but let's get to the pirate cave where the, the you know, the booby traps are, and it gets real interesting and spooky. Um, as a kid, that's where I always sort of really tuned in more. But going back to it now, I think those scenes, one, like I said, the scene in the house and then the scene in the restaurant are so important for setting up the world and the threat of the Fratellis and kind of sending everybody off on the adventure and separating chunk off to have his own uh separate quest yeah no i think that's that's an interesting point i forgot how quickly chunk runs into trouble because like <laughs> I, I know they always basically say he's a fuck up like that's the that's his thing but like you know they they get separated they say chunk you go out the window you go find help and like the next scene he just stops that car with robert Dobby in it like he gets i he, he doesn't get nearly as far as i thought he did I like the dark. I love the dark. But I hate nature. I hate nature. Wait a sec! Stop! I'm just a kid! 
Look, mister, I need a ride. My friends and I just had a run-in with these really disgusting people. You might have heard of them, the Fatellis. Well, we found their hideout. And could you please, please take me to the sheriff's station? I can describe all three of them. Bimba dagli occhi vieni de Mario. Oh yeah, no, he's fully, he's fully, he's fully the victim of his own, of his own inability to, uh, to, well, I think live outside of farce. He, he is a very funny kid. He, that he just lives in this funny farcical fantasy land that he's created. And now he's actually without on, you know, not on purpose as finding himself in this. But the best part of him is that he, even though he is taken hostage by the Fratellis, his ridiculousness, I mean, he sets them ablaze. He, they can't handle him because he's just so ridiculous. Like, you know, they, they start by threatening him to put his hand in the in the blender and he starts telling all these stories and they're like, what the hell is happening? And he tells that hilarious story about, like, barfing. Yes. Hey, kid, I want you to spill your guts. Tell us everything. 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 Okay, I'll talk. In third grade, I cheated on my history exam. In fourth grade, I stole my Uncle Max's toupee and I glued it on my face when I played Moses in my Hebrew school play. In fifth grade, I knocked my sister Edie down the stairs and I blamed it on the dog. It's like a vaudeville bit that they tell him, like, okay, you're going to talk. And then his response is, I'm going to reveal all my stupid Every secrets. Every bad I, you know, thing I, I've ever done. I pushed done. my sister down the stairs and I blamed it on the dog and... Yeah, he and then we cut away to the you know the Goonies back in the cave for a while, and then you know it's, it's been a good minute, and then we cut back to Junk, and he's still doing the confessional. It's very funny. Yeah. But the worst thing I ever done, I mixed up all this fake puke at home, and then I went to this movie theater, hid the puke in my jacket, climbed up to the balcony, and then then I made a noise like this. <laughs> And then I dumped it over the side on all the people in the audience. Then, then this was horrible. All the people started getting sick and throwing up all over each other. I never felt so bad in my entire life. Mom, they're gonna like this kid, Mom. No, he's so he's so great performance in that kid. He and now he's he's like a Hollywood lawyer. Yeah, he's, he works in the entertainment industry. Right, right. Yeah. So that's really funny. He's, you know, been in this for a long time. No, he's so funny. He's such a great... Uh, he's got this such this great comic relief, but he also has so much heart. I mean, the relationship that he has with Sloth is just lovely. And... That is a high wire act of this movie, by the way, because I, I really... I was trying really hard in my research for this to find an interview with Chris Columbus, who's credited with the script, uh, or even Spielberg, who I guess he, he wrote, he came out with the original story and I guess Columbus then wrote the script. So I don't know who is the, who is responsible for inventing the idea of sloth, but he's such a weird element to put into this movie. Um, I mean, he's an integral part of, of the story, but I, it, you know, I would love to know the genesis of that idea um, I get thematically that you know, okay, they're all the Goonies are all freaks, and he's like a mega freak, right? But, but of course, you know, they they bond with him. You know, he seems scary at first; he seems like a monster, but of course, he's actually you know very kind. 
so yeah, thematically it all works, but you're, but yeah, to, to pair up this like fast talking uh, Hebrew school kid <laughs> with your monster, th- it could come across as really rid- ridiculous. Like it could veer into schmaltzy. It could, you know, it could come apart at the seams in like 20 different ways, but it doesn't. Like they, they somehow manage this balancing act to make it feel sort of natural and then incredibly heroic, of course, when they show up at their, they're the, uh, the cavalry coming in at the end to save the day. Right. I also think with the 2022 lenses on, you're like, oh, this is nothing that could never be done today. There's, you know, what is there? Like there's, there's something very non PC about that, but you're, you're right. That higher wire act really was successful because I think there is just so much heart. You can clearly see there's some kind of, love that has organically bloomed between the two of them that is just wonderful and fraternal and caring and just pure and it's nothing it's nothing untoward there's no there's nothing to make fun of but you you it's too in in a world like today it's way too we're way too pc to have this sloth type character for whatever that weird background is whatever sort of abuse and things that have happened and you know to him as a child that they sort of hint on the movie but you can't have that 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 is just never something that could happen today and so it's so i think for maybe our generation it works for us i'm curious what our kids would think about a character like sloth when they're i don't have have you shown it to to your daughter i've tried to get them to watch it once or twice i don't think they were they're not quite old enough to find it interesting yet they just they they checked out so i think when they're a little older because i feel like i must have seen it when i was maybe seven so Celeste, my daughter, is closing in on being, I think, old enough to be kind of yeah. interested in watching this, but not yet. I said, hey, I got to watch this for the podcast. And they, I, you know, I, my bribe is always, I'll make popcorn with M&M's and we'll watch it. Like they'll, As long as the popcorn and M&M lasted, they were okay. And as soon <laughs> as the, that was done, all right, we want to do something else. They, they, were not, they were not ready yet. Um, so the bribe failed. But, you know, I, I, I will definitely revisit this when they are. Definitely. Get it. But getting to your point about, yeah, Sloth and, and in 2022. Yeah, I mean, I could definitely see, you know, there there is an argument to be made that this is not very, a very sensitive portrayal of a person with, with severe disabilities. I think it still works well enough because what they're going for is this idea of a they, they want to make him a Frankenstein's monster essentially but so he's not like your typical portrayal of someone with disability he's you know they make him so monstrous looking and so over the top that you sort of go he's in another category we're not we're not meant to look at him as almost a real person right anymore but yeah it's it's still like i said it's a balancing act and it probably gets harder to do as time goes on you certainly wouldn't put a character like this in the movie now and if you did he'd be like a literal werewolf like something that was far enough removed to to allow that to happen without worrying about uh, offending anybody yeah but uh, such an interesting element like i said to to add to this thing it is we need this character it is but it's also so charming like it really is like this movie is just so fun and charming like it is it just catches you it's infectious and so you see though you know you're right you see them he goes right off the rails chunk goes right off the rails from the start and then you have you know just this hilarious set of circumstances right like what did you call it? a vaudevillian and then you go back down into the cave and they have all these fun little adventures there's all of these you know interpersonal dynamics between you've got the you know the older brother and the younger brother the older brother who's got the girl that he's trying to impress the girl's got the girlfriend that they're you know 
talking about the boys, trying to do all this stuff. You know, the other Martha Plimpton character kind of has that rapport with Mouth. You've got Data coming in with all his gadgets where he's, you know, first the gadgets are clearly unhelpful. And then, you know, and then, you know, they, they end up having, they end up having a good use and you get to see really fun things like early in the cave scene. And I can't remember, you know, first they get, they meet Chester copper pot and you see his bones they're able to get the key isn't that when they get the key the like the like skull key they get one of the essential elements so the, the clues they have are the map they start out with a map and they have the doubloon but the doubloon's function I, as i recall is only for them to figure out where to start in the map it helps them find the rocks to figure out where to begin the exactly quest. and then 10 by 10 ds the ds or whatever they call it Right. And Chester Copperpot has that skull key on his corpse. Right. And that's going to unlock a door later down in the in the depths of the cave. And they keep moving on in the caves. Yeah, they, you know, that the part with Data where, you know, I think where you finally see him having, getting some traction with his little devices. You know, at first when he falls down the pit and he's got the, I can't remember. The chatter teeth. Yes. And that each thing has a cute little Pinchers name. Pinchers of power. Pinchers of power. That's what it is. And they, but they're able to save him. And that's just, it's, I feel like until then, you really didn't have any of his gadgets being all that efficacious. They weren't working well. And all of a sudden, something finally works yeah, you got for the, him. You have the flashlights that like burn out immediately. Right. There's, in one of the deleted scenes, he deploys the Pinchers of power and it just bites mouth in the ass. Yep, exactly. And, and in fact, again, like we mentioned back in the beginning when he's doing the, um, uh, when we're doing the car chase, when what we see Data doing is he fires off like a suction cup onto a garbage can, and instead of pulling the garbage can to him, it yanks him into the garbage can. So, sort of like with Chunk, again, well, all the Goonies, I mean, are fuck ups. I mean, that's their mm-hmm. that's the theme, right? They're these are the rejects of society. They're the freaks. They're the weirdos. But they also um, and so yeah. it's really fun, as, yeah, to watch their their skills be, like mature over the movies. But just. Just to go back, because I was thinking about this, the way you're saying it, is that, but they clearly have visions of grandeur. Data wants to be like a cross between James Bond and Inspector Gadget. You know, at the very beginning, when he's going into um, Mikey's house, you know, he's putting on the James Bond song. You know, remember when he, like, he has, like, the... The line. The, he's a Walkman with Right. But he's got the line, you know, he's got, he tries to you know, swing down the line to go and he crashes through the, um, when he crashes through the screen door. It's just the whole thing. It's so fun. They clearly have all these cool things. They're all very into, they're higher level thinkers and just can't execute on these plans. You know, when we get to uh, One-Eyed Willie's ship, some, again, it's, you see the potential that these kids have. And then you see where they're not really able to execute, but ultimately they they find a kinship. And so Mikey, who's got the Rube Goldberg machine to get into the house, you know, at the beginning of the, the beginning. And then that clearly mirrors what One-Eyed Willie had in his ship, which is in all the booby traps. So you see where, you know, Data, who's got all these, you know, little gadgets that don't work, but then they ultimately do work. I mean, these kids are, it's just so charming how these kids are fuck ups, but really they're not. And you just have to you have to give them an opportunity to 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 shine, and it's so fun that like it took some fantastical adventure for them to do that. And I think that's something great that kids, you know, when we were little, and hopefully when our kids watch this and everybody in between, 
that there is an opportunity for you to shine and you you find those little things and this this movie does such a good job of like finding of telling kids you are going to be great at something it just takes a minute for you to find it yeah i think you you hit on something important thematically here which is that the the kids really stumble a lot before they find themselves as heroes and like watching that as a kid i could see identifying with that as a kid going like yeah i screw up a bunch but then like when you get there you get there you know you you finally arrive mm-hmm. do you have a favorite set piece from the cave oh well like i told you i think the water slides to me are just so so fun um clearly the giant bone piano is just so fun. And that's a, such a great piece. I think that's my favorite. I mean, maybe it's because I was taking piano lessons as a kid. But like, the, yeah, just the design of that thing. The visual design of the of this skeletal piano with keys made of bones and stuff. Um, it, I think probably one of my favorite visuals in the movie. Really, really cool. And like a very a simple concept for a trap, right? You just play the song. Uh, and you'll be okay. And it's got stakes. It was funny to listen to it where like... You've got stakes to it. I mean, Data almost goes down or everyone, you know, it's it's fantastic. I mean, we got to play the bones to get out of here. Exactly. Were they out there? Hurry up. You guys, look. There there are notes on this. Andy, Andy, you took piano lessons. I was four years old. You want to be 17? It is. I'm trying to find middle C. This is nothing like my mother's style. Well, do something, Troy. Okay, of the first chord, I think, is a chord, And the Vertellis are right on their tail at that point, too. So you've got, like, oh, they're, they are running out of time. And uh, Andy? Okay, not, Andy, thank you, who's playing the uh, the piano. She says at one point, she's like, I don't know if it's A sharp or B flat. <laughs> and I'm smart enough to now know, oh, those are the same thing. It's the same note. Oh, I didn't know that. That's funny. Yeah, that's like saying, is it 7 plus 1 or 9 minus 1? I don't know. <laughs> That's what sharp and flat mean. It's one half step. Oh, okay. That's funny. But but at the same time, they're in having this, like, you're right. The fertilities are on their tail, and she's freaking out. And Mikey is still has the wherewithal to be like, well, we'll all be flat if you don't get it right. I mean, he can still make a joke. Like, they're so funny. Like, these kids are just, they, they just have these wits about them. And it's really, it's really great throughout. And you can see that. They're all, yeah, the comic timing on all of these kids is really impressive for their age, especially Corey Feldman. I mean, Corey Feldman was known for being, you know, very funny and quick. You look at him in, you know, Stand By Me and, you know, all these things he was in. Just, you know, re- really, really good at that. Uh, and you've got Jeff Cohen, his chunk is, you know, you know, again, his timing is incredible. Kiki Kwan, who's doing it in clearly in his second language, you know, just really great that they, and they all work together, even when it's chaotically, it's great timing. Uh, but I don't want to take away from from the Fratellis, who are also, you know, very, very talented. Ma Fratelli has one of my favorite line readings in the whole movie. Uh, and I didn't notice it until I watched it this time. And I was like, oh, this really stands out for me. It's funny, a funny moment where, you know, the whole movie, she's she is played as this, you know, cartoon hag. Uh, you know, yeah. I mean, she really amps up her voice and her voice. She's very similar to the role she plays in uh, Throw Mama from the Train. This awful witch woman. And of course, behind the scenes, she's 
a perfectly nice person. <laughs> um, but she has this line where, like, at one point she just kind of leans against the wall, and and she's not in her hag voice. She's in her, like, probably her regular speaking voice. She just goes, Kids suck. <laughs> it's, it's such a funny, like, it, it, it's, it almost feels like it's out of a different movie. Like, it totally breaks character for a second to do that. Um, but it just struck me as very funny. Like, it's almost like, is is the character saying that or is the actress just exasperated from a long day of shooting with 10-year-olds? <laughs> it's just very funny to me. That is that is funny. No, it's funny. You see her just, you're right, because she's got a limited range in this movie. But, but she does a really good job with that. There's even, I was watching today, when they finally get to the pirate ship and Sloth is you know, sort of scolding her and she's trying to sort of trick him back into submission. And you sort of see her using her sort of nicer mom voice. Yeah. And and the lullaby, but there's this quick scene of her sort of like, I don't know. There's something she does with her eyes. We're like, Oh, I hope he, I hope he buys this. I may have been bad. I may have kept the chain to that room. But it was for your good. Don't you remember what I used to sing to you? <laughs> when you were little, my <laughs> Rockabye baby on the treetop. <laughs> when the wind blows, the cradle will rise. When the bar breaks, the cradle will fall. Break! Break! Fall! I, I, I only dropped you once. No. Uh, well, maybe twice. No. No. The heat that Sloth doesn't see, but the audience is meant to see. And you're right. She's just, it's its a very, it's a very, there's very little change in her tone, but you see it, but from the eyes that she does a really good job and it's meant to be very funny because sloth catches on very quickly, but no, she does a great job. And I love the bickering and the bantering of the brothers. The Fratelli brothers are so funny and they have, you know, my brother and I are a year and a half apart, and I mean, he still yells at me and holds against me things from when we were nine, from when we were 15. And so to hear them be complaining about each other and, oh, sloth, we were going to get your teeth fixed, but we had to go get blah, 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 a new toupee. You know, they're just, it's the same, it, it's such a lived in relationship. It's so clearly their brothers um, and, and have that, that history. And it's so funny because they're just, we had to get Francis a new toupee. Uh, it's just so, you are your worst self and your most juvenile with your sibling, or at least I am. And I felt, I, 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 it was so lived in and it's so funny. I felt so connected with that. Yeah, that moment there's another where they're where they're both obviously they're worried that Sloth is going to kick their ass. And I think is it Robert Davi says something like, you know, hey, do you remember when we went to the Bronx Zoo? And Joe Pantanano's like, We never went to the Bronx like he's just clearly bullshitting. Yeah. And he's furious that he's gonna try and pull something. It's just very funny, like all of their bickering, you're right, is really because like they're they're on the same team they're like they're uh intimidating to the kids and then just all of a sudden on a dime they're just at each other's throats it's very very like it's just real they almost feel like grown-up kids is what you see 
Well, again, I think it goes back to, you know, with my own relationship with my brother is we are the most juvenile with each other. You know, we're clearly, you know, I'm over 40 years old. He's almost 40. But we're just, we are so in it and still 13 and 12 fighting over the most petty shit. And they were, that is exemplary in them. They just, and Jake and Francis are so funny together. And that is such a sibling relationship. And it was, it's just so, I think as an adult, that's what, that's actually a really fun, it's a really fun relationship to watch in the movie as an adult and see that. And it just cracks me up because I just, I feel every aspect of that. Well, the movie is definitely interested in sibling relationships. I mean, you have the, the you know, Jake and Francis Fratelli. You also have Sloth as, as a third sibling mm-hmm. there. But then you contrast that with Brand and Mikey. And you even have that scene, the, the deleted scene, go, to go back to that scene in the, um, yep. no, the liquor store. Nobody hits my brother but me. But yeah, nobody <laughs> hits my brother but me. Um, where, you know, a, a slightly more gentle version of something like that. But, I mean, Brand throughout the movie is like you can see he's struggling with his role of having to protect his younger brother while still like sort of being dragged along on the quest. And like a lot of it is he's, you know, like, well, okay, I'll go because Andy's going and I want to, you know, hopefully make out with her or whatever. But he is also still like he's very disbelieving until something is thrown. Like there's no monster in the basement. And finally he sees sloth. He's like, okay, Mikey is not making this up. Right. There's no way there's no treasure around here. Oh wait, there's a hole in the basement. Okay. Like he has to be kind of like led by the nose until they're pretty far into the caves where he's kind of like in for the ride. Um, Probably around the time they get to the, like the wishing well, I think is when, or or the, or is it the water pipes that go into the uh, country club that they mess with? Oh, right. Um, there's your literal again to go to the, back to the class thing. A literal upstairs downstairs moment where they are screwing with the the waterworks of a country club above them. Weird weird moment in that too that they're like messing with the water in the showers and there's a guy in there who conspicuously has an eye patch and I was wondering like was there something more to that scene that they were going to do? Like it just felt very weird of like in this whole movie where you're going after one-eyed Willie's treasure like put this one-eyed person into this oh that's fun that's a fun thing yeah i never thought about that that's a lot of fun there's you know they do a good job of kind of of having all these like you know little 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 hints here and there and one of the things i like about one-eyed willie when we finally meet him is that mikey looks under the eye patch and he's not missing like he hasn't had he doesn't have two eye sockets he actually he never had yeah a second eye yeah right his skull is like oh there's just the one eye and it's like, yeah, you, and it, it adds like you were a, a goonie, right? You were a freak like us. Right. Uh, and you, you know, you, you won. You, you stole your treasure and you, you escaped. I, I, that, that ship, the Inferno is so cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, they do a really good job of, of doing that. And one of my favorite stories that I learned from behind the scenes is the scene where the kids, you know, react to seeing the Inferno for the you know first time uh, down in the, in the caves um, was the actors actually seeing the thing for the first time in real life? They were forbidden from going to the set where they were building it because oh, Richard cool. wanted that revealed. Yeah, so they were, they wanted to get these authentic reactions of them to for, of them seeing this pirate ship for the first time. So yeah, I love that, and that was one of my other favorite scenes because it felt like like I mean I I we both grew up in Southern California, so going to Disneyland was you know fairly common. And so Pirates of the Caribbean was one of my favorite rides. And one of the things I always dreamed of being able to do 
was get off of the ride inside the cave and go just explore the treasure cavern mm-hmm. up close. Mm-hmm. Like, what I wouldn't get to be able to just get off and like walk around and uh, poke around that that set. And this movie sort of lets you do that. Like, you know, you get to see all over the inside of the ship and all the the treasures inside. It is so fun, and the, you know, there's trap doors and there's all these different pirates who have died gruesome deaths since you know the the one of the first skeletons that they come across when they get onto the ship you know it's he's got his back to them and they sort of pull him around and he's got the daggers in his eyes i mean these these are all people who have you know these these pirates have just lived quite a life and it's so funny to um to, to you know it, it's fun for for us to see them i love good environmental storytelling um, I always appreciate uh, in a work of fiction when, you know, you, when you walk into a room and, you know, you're, you're seeing the aftermath of something and there's a level of detail that tells you all about what went on there without having a voiceover come in and tell you or the characters say it out loud. Just seeing the state that these skeletons are in lets you know, like they, the pirates, they were... You know, they got ended up getting trapped in this cave. They couldn't get out and they killed each other over some jealous squabble. Right. Um, I love being able to sort of see all of that just, you know, at a glance, just looking at it. You know, that's what happened. Really, really good. Interesting stuff. What is what is to that same point is, you know, when you start to think on this movie after you've watched it and you realize that you're right, these these pirates were trapped in this cave and then created sort of from the inside out all these cool traps that how far they went along it's really cool that they were just every step of the way they were so concerned about protecting their treasure and they created these just elaborate things it sort of reminds me of do you remember ducktales and there's like that series of episodes where then he has like they have like the golden fever because they're so enamored with their gold and and their um you know, they're, they're fighting over it. And, you know, I, was that the one where they end up in like the golden temple and then the temple like melts in on itself. But, um, it, yes, it's, that, it's so the that same is thing. The, yeah, those are the first five. Ep- well, I don't think they're the first five created, but yeah, that, that's the first five episodes of DuckTales where it actually starts like as a pilot where like they go to live with uncle Scrooge and then, yeah, there's the ship uh, with the, and the gold mm-hmm. coin. Like, it is very, a similar kind of treasure hunty idea, which, I mean, that goes back to, like, the DuckTales comics that predate the Goonies by decades. But, yeah, I remember, I do remember that. The gold, senor. They're yeah. so concerned about protecting their treasure. It's almost like they were so close to clearly the surface. If if they had kept mm-hmm. moving those, ca- going up those caves, they would have ended up at the surface level where that house was or whatever existed before that house. But they were more concerned about protecting the treasure I guess somebody had to get out with the map because there was a map and a key and a coin, but they were more concerned about sticking with the treasure than they were about escaping and maybe finding a way out for that, for, you know, out of that cave with the ship, which I still always crack up. I'm like, it clearly wasn't that hard for, for the, you know, for the cave in to sort of reverse itself, you know, by the end of this movie when the ship is able to be unfurled and, you know, set into the sea. But I think that theme hits really well at the end because, again, the movie is very concerned, right, with this, like, we need to be rich. We need our, you know, we need to get money to solve this problem. But that last scene when they're all with their parents, like, 
you know, um, you know, Data's dad says, you know, you're my greatest invention, and Mike, uh, you know, and and Mike and uh, Brand's dad um, just tells him, hey, you're 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 back home safe with us. That makes us the richest people in the world. In Astoria, um, you know, the, um, in Astoria, that, that makes the you know the, immediately it's like, no, 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 the the treasure doesn't matter. We're we're gonna be okay. Um, now, fortunately. Mike's got the uh, the bag full of marbles with the actual jewels in them. Um, but in my head, I'm also thinking like, man, even if you never had that, look, you found the pirate ship. You found the, the cave. You found system. a treasure. Yeah. This is the, it's already, yeah. Like as an archeological find, this is, it doesn't get better than this. Like yeah. you did an amazing job without the actual, like, like they, they were going to cash in one way or the other. If you think back to like national treasure, you know, when you get to the end of the first one and the beginning of the second one where they've, you know, they've cashed in on what what do they get? Like a finder's fee for everything. It's like they were going to cash in one way or the other. They just had again. They he was lucky enough to get those jewels out of the marble bag. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like they, they were the movie rights to their story you know, is probably worth enough right. to save the town. But still, yes, they should. They deserve some of the uh, the doubloons and jewels and stuff. They they put in the work. Especially since now Chunk's parents are going to have to raise a sloth. <laughs> right. they got another mouth to feed. <laughs> I love that, though. That um, I do like that. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I love that at the end, since we've kind of skipped ahead, I love at the end when when Chunk's family brings him a Domino's pizza. Like, they just knew, let me go grab a Domino's just in case. Like, they've had it on call in case we ever found Chunk. It was just so funny, and I love it. And there's also, you know, right when the mom brings it to him and they just kiss right there. It's just such a... Again, there is so much palpable love in this movie for each other for, you know, the, every part of it is just so sweet and so real. And I love that because all the time I'm telling my boys like, you know, no, you got to kiss me on the lips. Like, I'm not going to get that for much longer. And I'm going to take each kiss I can. And I love just seeing the mom give him just, you know, just like plant a good one on the kid. And it was just so sweet. And, you know, again, just that there was a demonstration of love, especially with Chunk. I mean, Chunk is very loving, and you see that with with Sloth. But just like you see, you see where it came from from the parents. Um, you know, bringing him that pizza was just a demonstration of love, and I thought it was so sweet. You're gonna live with me now. Huh? Yeah, I'm gonna take care of you because <laughs> I love you. Yeah, and Chuck's immediate reaction to Sloth, he has not consulted his parents about this, but he says, you're going to come live with us. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's like, I'd want to be at least asked about that before (laughs) you added a family member. Right, that's Um, funny. But but, yeah, it doesn't matter because, you know, it's a sweet ending. Like, he deserves that. He's been locked in a room for how long? You know, he deserves to be happy. But the the Sloth uh, rescue at the end... It's, it's such a great, like, uh, rousing moment, you know, for him. But when they when he comes down the uh, the sale on the knife, when they, you know, make Richard Donner gets to cash in on the Superman connection, you know, uh, by having him rip the shirt open. And they and they even use a little bit of the John Williams Superman score yep. at that moment. And it's great. It's, you know, he get it's again, it's, you know, Sloth is getting revenge on the people who held him down. And then the Goonies get revenge on everyone who held them down again, kind of fitting into my original thesis for this thing. That's all, you know, upstairs, downstairs stuff and, and little guys getting you know their due against the big guys. 
uh, and the bullies. But, you know, like you said, the movie goes out on such a high note and this, you know, glorious shot of the Inferno sailing away, you know, freedom. Uh, it's, it's just a great end to a, a really sweet and fun adventure. Uh, and I think that's why it's endured. You know, like no, normally, you know, we haven't talked about this much in this podcast, but thinking about nostalgia, sometimes nostalgia can be this like Vaseline on the lens that lets you enjoy things mm-hmm. that maybe aren't that great because you saw them when you were seven. Yeah. But I think this movie it just holds up so well because you just can't do this better than this does. You know, I, I, there's lots of movies where kids go on adventures, but they're all just echoes of this. They're copies of it. There's just so many details that are fun. There's a lot of details in this movie, and a lot of them almost go right by you because the kids are talking so fast and talking over each other. Like, I remember what I read in the Wikipedia article about the, they get their name from because they live in a neighborhood called the Goondocks. Yeah. And I was like, I don't even remember that being in the movie. And then I watched it again. I'm like, they do say that word Goondocks a couple of times. Yep. But you could easily miss it. Like, there's so much detail that's, like, packed into these bickering scenes and stuff where it's in the background of the audio mix. Sometimes it's harder to hear. Or it's, you know, just a visual thing you catch for a second. So, you, yeah, you really got to kind of pay attention to get some of those littler fine points. Right. And there's just – it's you're right. There's just a lot of small details. I, there's this really funny – the two things that I really enjoy um, – Going back to Chunk, I think I find him just so charming. I love how much his Judaism is just a part of him. Where there's just a part at the beginning or when they're in the attic and he's like, oh, look how cool your attic it has. It has all this cool stuff. Mine just has old Hanukkah decorations. Like it just comes out. There's a few little parts where his Judaism comes out. And it's so fun because it's just, again, it's just so natural. There's nothing, there's nothing, it's, it's just a small mention. There's nothing there, but that's just, he's just... These characters are fully lived people. They're they're flushed out people and they just have little bits and pieces. The other the other thing I really like again, super small detail. When they're in the cave and Mike and Andy sort of thinks she's kissing Brand, but she's kissing Mikey. And even though she's like, "Wait, does Brand have braces?" and Martha Plimpton sort of laughs. And they walk out of the cave, they walk out of that dark part and Andy is like, Keep an eye out. There's there's a hole because Brand was sit was standing in it. Just a tiny little thing because she's so oblivious that this is she doesn't realize it's Mikey and just just these tiny little bits that are if you don't pay attention you're like oh because she still doesn't realize it was Mikey and it's just so funny. Um, just small little things like that crack me up. Yeah, or like they you know it's like they keep calling mouth mouth and then like towards the end of the movie he's packed literal treasure into his cheeks you know, an absurd amount that you don't think could actually fit in there and probably literally couldn't. I'm sure it's multiple takes with different stuff. Like a clown car. Literal mouth. Yeah. You know, each one of them, like you said, gets to shine kind of using their own talent or skill and have that moment. And also I think it it was, you know, my, in my head, this movie was all about kind of the younger set of them, the, the, you know, the four kid goonies, but also you, the three teenagers are an integral part of it as well. You have you know, you know, Steph and Andy and Bran, and it wouldn't work without them. And, and, and the movie's kind of keen to note that, like, being a Goonie, being a weirdo, isn't just when you're a little kid. Like, you can't shake it, even though these kids are older, they're juniors in high school or something. Um, you know, yeah, you're still a Goonie, right? It's, it still stays with you, even to, like, Sloth, who's 
an adult or one-eyed Willie. You know, like right. It's like this is who you are. You are one of these weirdos, and you always will be. But it doesn't. That's not necessarily bad. It's not going to hold you back. Clearly, they have skills, right? No, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, you can be successful regardless. Yeah, I think as a forty-two-year-old man doing a podcast about the Goonies, I can relate <laughs> to never growing out of this. But yeah, I think that's a that's a good place to to kind of start wrapping it up. Um, Tani, any uh, wrap up thoughts on on the Goonies before we uh, we call it a night? I think we clearly this is calling for us having a kids' night watching this movie pretty soon. With my again, with my I hope I hope I've inspired your popcorn and M and M's treat for those kids. That's something I've been force feeding your wife for I don't know twenty five years. This is such a fun movie. I'm glad you. I'm glad this is something we picked. Um, I'm glad it sort of forced me to rewatch it today. I kind of watched it while I was um, working and and trying to buy my Taylor Swift tickets. So that was a lot of fun uh, having that on in the background. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. There, there's just the cast is just a powerhouse. It's so f- interesting to see just. How talented, I I mean, there's clearly so many of these kids have grown up to be so talented as adult actors as well. They knew what they were doing, and I have no artistic bones in my bodies, and so it's a lot of fun to see, I think, the coming to fruition with, with, you know, the talent that some of these people have, um, and how much I still love Mikey. I mean, I still, as a 41-year-old woman... I think I still have a little bit of a crush on Mikey in 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 a very you know in a very um, earnest way. Just I can still see my my six or seven year old self loving Mikey and writing that little letter. I know exactly where I was. I can see myself writing that letter in the field at Lorenz Hillside School in in Torrance, California. It was like the little private school I went to when I was probably in the first grade. I can still see myself. Dear Mikey, blah, blah, blah. Your wife still teases me about that one sometimes. Uh, No, this is such a fun movie. I can't wait for us to, I can't wait for me to show my boys and hopefully have them enjoy it the way I do. It'll be fun for us to do a movie night with our kids. I love Sean Astin. I love that scene where he, yeah, he calls Bran Josh. He calls him by his real name. I think that's a lot of fun. This is that kind of movie where it's clearly not super polished. Where they 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 don't have you know where they allow those mistakes to come in, I think that just adds to the charm, and it, it's just it's just so much fun. And I, yeah. I I will be keep watching this, and I hope you know we'll be watching this with our kids and grandkids, just just having fun. It's just pure fun. Yeah, for my kind of closing argument on on the Goonies, you know when the concept of doing a nostalgia podcast came around. This movie was definitely something I had thought of doing. And it's something you obviously suggested. And it's such a natural choice because yes, it's something that I and many other people are nostalgic for from the eighties, but it's so beloved. Like it's, you know, the people like the never ending story. They, you know, they like, I don't know, Tron. I mean, it's always fun things from the eighties that people like. And still remember fondly, the people love the Goonies. They, you know, not just like, but love. And you know, it's it's shown to be a like a winner across generations. That you know, I I've hung out with plenty of you know. I'm an '80s kid. I've met plenty of '90s kids. They love it just as much, even though it came out before they were born. Um, and and I think you know, I walk around and you still see people wearing the skull and crossbones you know, or, or Goonies as a shirt, um, or, or you know, it's still 
as vital today as it was in 1985. And, and the reason for that is all on the screen. It, you know, it's being a kid and feeling like you're not going to be good enough is a universal feeling. And this movie gives us that lesson of like, you're going to be okay and you're going to triumph and you're going to succeed despite all the weird things that, you know, people say about you or or hold you back. And, you know, yes, you, you know, you are going to make it just like these four kids are. So not only does it have a great message, it's wrapped in this incredibly entertaining package. And uh, that's why I think the Goonies will still be around 35 years from now. People will still be watching this. It's just that good. So I think that'll probably do it for the Goonies. Um, I do want to bring things to a close here. So if you have thoughts on uh, on the Goonies, please tweet them to at NostalgiumPod. Uh, of course, if you like the show, drop us a review. Go on uh, Apple or uh, Google Podcasts or wherever you get your stuff and uh, drop a, f- a five star in there if you feel like it. Sure, that would be nice. Um, but whatever you want to say, please say, we will read your feedback on the show, of course. And then, uh, I want to plug next week's episode, which well, we're sticking with eighties film nostalgia. Uh, we're gonna have an awesome guest on this episode, I hope. Uh, but we're going to do the karate kid. Oh. So they're, they're a very, uh, similar tone and, uh, to the Goonies. So we'll kind of keep this flame going for uh, a little longer. So, um, Tanya, thanks again for, for doing this. This was so much fun. I'm glad you, I'm glad we did this. I'm sure we'll have you on again. Thanks, Doug. I told you I've got all my girly shows that I want to do some nostalgia stuff on. All right, I'm I'm down. I'm whatever. I gotta get you watching some of my some of my late '90s, early 2000s. There's still a lot of nostalgia there, but it's we we gotta get some yeah. of those girl shows on. I I I know we've got a my so-called life episode in the future somewhere. You know we'll that. Do, and I'll have to sit down and watch it. Uh, All right. Well, well, thank you so much again, Tanya. And uh, until next time, that's one more entry in the Nostalgia Podcast.